Hello, my fellow travelers. Welcome back to Nomad Limits, season one, episode one. The first of many, uh, as we previously spoke about on the trailer, this is going to be a wide array of topics that we can discuss. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the motivation of why Nomad Limits came into existence. Uh, we're discussing the beginning of adventure and the motivation that led me to want to explore these types of worldly aspects, getting outside of my comfort zone and taking on a challenge within the world that previously was unknown to me. As somebody who grew up in the South in Florida, um, I had never even seen snow up until I was about 20 years old. And the first time I saw it was in the country of Ukraine. And those experiences have really defined kind of what I felt like I was missing for a large portion of my life. And that was experiencing something else, experiencing the culture and the connection to people and language. And throughout the last few years, I feel like these connections have defined the type of person that I am. That call to adventure is what has allowed me to leave and explore my homestead and meet people from other cultures everywhere, and at least have in some capacity, even if it's in limited knowledge, an ability to connect. And so what started out with this initial impact in my life was a comment that was made to me when I was in my previous relationship about how I, I, I looked as though I was being held back from what I truly wanted. And that was to explore, that was to travel the world and to make something out of my life. And when the relationship that I previously was in had ended, I took the opportunity to deep dive into what it is that I truly wanted. And it was to get out. And so I immediately booked a ticket overseas to Peru. And um, for some of you that may or may not know, flying to South America is relatively cheap depending on the time of year. And there are also domestic flights that head down to South America. And so I was lucky en enough during the summer of 2021, 2022, excuse me, uh, to book a flight for a $400 round trip into, into Peru. Um, when I first had the idea, I was scared. Of course, I was anxious and nervous about the experience. It was, um, the first time that I ever actually solo backpacked a country and there was a lot of nerves on me. There was a lot of concern about what it was that I was to expect putting foot into this new country for the first time, um, and being on my own. And so with that, I initially had asked a couple of my friends, would they be interested in coming out uh, for a guy's trip in South America? And I invited two of my buddies, but there was a lot of complications about whether or not they were confirming on going with me to this trip. And it was passport issues or, or money complications. And I figured that I had to go whether or not my friends wanted to go with me. And if I had waited 
for my friends to make a decision, then I would have been waiting my entire life. And I decided to pull the trigger in that moment and was the only one that stood before the boarding process in the line in Orlando, uh, Florida, to get on a flight to Lima, Peru. That decision solidified in me a confidence that allowed me to fulfill greater desires. I was able to do the things that I wanted to do and I didn't need uh, a shoulder to lean on. I didn't need the comfort of my friends to aid me in making these big decisions. And that was a really big learning moment for me because I thought before I got to Peru that it was gonna be better with my friends. And maybe it would have been, but I wouldn't have known that either way because my friends weren't there. And so with that, um, it really sparked in me a drive. And that's a drive to take in the moments that I was able to have shared with others that I met in country and relate that to how we might be able to connect in countries all over the world. Um, going to Peru, obviously there was a lot of just incredible experiences out there. Um, what stood out to me in Peru was the overall friendliness of the people. And I, I, a lot of people um, in Lima spoke English. They studied at universities and they have good jobs uh, working with other countries that deal with native English speakers. Um, but outside of that, a majority of, of people in Peru obviously speak Spanish. And so there was a language barrier for a period of time while I was traveling because I had still not been able to grasp uh, the language. But the friendliness of the people always, you know, um, reevaluated my assurance. And I was able to, to walk up to anybody and just ask questions and find, you know, the best types of help from those that wanted to provide a little bit of an assistance for the gringo. Um, and they were, they were so, they were so nice. They were so happy, uh, to be in country. And uh, it's really crazy to see because a lot of these people have far less than any individual that I know of, um, in America, uh, even in the poorest of places, some of these, some of these Peruvians were limiting on bareback of what most Americans would think under poverty by extreme measures, but they were happy. Um, and they were working hard and we had people from all over that just wanted to spend quality time with those that they care about and, uh, to work hard and support their family, provide for those around them. And that was a beautiful thing. Um, another thing that stood out to me was the food. The Peruvians take a very, uh, high honored stance on the type of food that they serve. And they put quality into everything, the uh, ingredients that they throw into it, or uh, the basis of what types of vegetables or meats they use. The quality of the food has always been so good. Uh, especially if you go into bigger cities and restaurants where there are a lot of tourists, but even the small family owned restaurants as well, where they can serve fresh made ceviche with caught fish in the morning um, or, you know, 
arroz con pollo and uh, different types of dishes that are traditional to Peru, there's just really not something that you can compare it to here in the United States. And being able to find food on every corner, being able to find homemade recipes, generational recipes, these types of things really stood out to me as an important part of Peruvian culture and a deeper desire for me to, to know more about it. Um, and so being close to food myself, I love to eat. I love to try new things. I love to be able to get out of my comfort zone. And so in Peru, I tried a plethora of interesting um, dishes that most Americans probably would never think of. And uh, a big a big part of the culture, of the Quechuan culture in Peru is actually koi. And that's just a really big guinea pig. And, and um, diving into that seemed like it was a crazy thing to do, but it is not only a delicacy in Peru, but it's a tourist attraction as well. And a lot of people go to Peru to say that they've eaten koi. Um, and then, of course, uh, besides that, an interesting thing that people eat as well is cow heart. Uh, it's really hard to find that here in America. A lot of people don't typically eat cow heart, but um, it's cow heart skewered on a stick uh, made with different sauces for the dish. And it comes out to be fantastic. And these types of foods, I would probably never have tried here in America. But what was funny is that being in Peru, it almost seemed like I had an obligation to. And I loved it. I loved it. Um, and then, you know, going further about what stood out to me is, is just the openness of the country and how freeing it felt to be there. Um, obviously, you know, no country is perfect. And especially in South America, where there are at times crippling political institutions or organizations that come about with problems, um, a lot of the people seem like their, their goals, their intentions are to make the best of whatever situation is coming to them. Um, if you get out of the major cities and you look past a lot of the other issues when it comes to uh, the poverty, there's a feeling about that openness, openness and how freeing it feels for a lot of the people. And, and Everybody who I've spoke to that was within these villages or within these impoverished communities just seemed to be so happy. They seemed to be very appreciative of everything they had, regardless of whether or not they were comparing themselves to somebody or not. And I think that that is the biggest thing is that they didn't compare themselves. They wanted, you know, to be appreciative of what they had because they're probably well aware of what it's like to have much less. And that was a really big eye-opener to me to understand how these people were so accepting of their situation, still working to make their situation better, still working to provide money for their families. But um, with Peru's acceptance of many immigrants and migrants from other countries, such as Venezuela, uh, given the example of one million a uh, little over 1 million Venezuelans living in Lima, Peru because of the political and economical uh, problems in Venezuela. Um, uh, you know, obviously there's some tension everywhere and I saw a little bit of that 
when I was um, making my second return trip last year in December uh, during the Pedro Castillo coup. Um, but, you know, a lot of this just comes with the territory. And it's one of those things you've got to learn that there is no perfect country. And maybe it is dangerous and it, it possibly could lead to some complications. And so um, talking about the good of the country, what are some of the negatives about um, about Peru that I was able to take away from? Um, my first travel to Peru, I ended up getting extremely sick. Um, they call it traveler's diarrhea. And it's a, a bug that you get from possibly drinking um, water without knowing if it comes out of the public faucet or eating contaminated foods. Uh, and it usually can be a derivative from E. coli or salmonella or some other uh, stomach bug. And well, uh, I got extremely sick from God knows what, whether it was water or corn or whatever. And that was a major concern. I mean, I, I lost 10 pounds within a period of four days. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. It was uh, a constant run of diarrhea and uh, vomiting. And these are one of, the, one of the major issues is after that experience, you know, how do you protect yourself from that? And I, I highly advise anybody who is going to a third world country to get uh, traveler's insurance before you go. Do everything you can to ensure that your policy is up to date from the moment you step foot in the country to the moment you, you fly out because um, you do not want to be in a situation where I've had multiple, uh, something that you would have never expected happened where um, you would have had to pay out of pocket hundreds if not thousands of dollars, even if it's much cheaper in those countries as opposed to maybe – $50 for a, a copay on traveler's insurance. These things might save your life. And so looking at health concerns, uh, especially food health concerns, where you just don't know what it is that you're eating in these countries, make sure that uh, you're taking the time out to validate the health and the safety of whether or not the food is coming from uh, a sanitary location or, you know, if you're going to be dangerous and you want to risk it, make sure that you've got good health insurance to back you up. Um, the next, I believe, the, the biggest thing that happened to me when I was in Peru uh, that really screwed me up the moment I got there was the taxi scams. And there are countries everywhere. You're going to find scams in every single country. And they're going to try to get you. And a lot of these people uh, you'll find are the taxis. Um, Taxi scams work because a lot of them hang outside of the airport uh, or other major touristy destinations. And some of the tourists are not quite familiar with the exchange rates, especially when you've just stepped foot into country and you're not quite sure what is a good deal and what's not. And to you, it might not sound like a lot, but to them, they're pulling off maybe five, six times more uh, of a higher charge than what any local should pay or somebody who knows the exchange should pay. Uh, so when I first started, um, I ended up 
getting into Peru really late at night, super, super late. I was probably a little bit past 12 a.m. And I was tired. I was on the plane for uh, seven hours and waiting in layovers. And, and when I finally got there, I was just ready to get into a hotel. And um, I get out into the airport and I'm, I'm looking at places on Airbnb to find a place to stay. And when I found one, um, the taxi drivers had approached me and they were giving me what seemed to be a good deal. And they had a list of uh, gringos prices where it showed you the distance, how much you would pay in USD. And it seemed to me like it was a good deal. And uh, it was about an hour drive away and they wanted um, 80 bucks, 80 USD, which is a ridiculous amount because um, most, most Peruvians don't even make that in a week. Uh, and so obviously people will say, well, you're an American and you have the ability to pay for that. But um, when, you, when you work every day to save up enough money to be able to give money back to the tourist industry within a country, it's very hard to know that the money you're giving to these taxi drivers are actually going to a good cause and not something that would be um, degenerately. Um, de degenerate. Um, but so we ended up, I ended up paying $80 as opposed to what I should have paid, which was close to 20. And I didn't know, but it was a life lesson I learned that day uh, after going through the conversions and asking people around me, how much should I pay for this trip? And I found the answer. And it's just one of those live and learn type things. And you've got to be able to do that. Um, and, and those types of scams also kind of impede with other uh, problems, which you'll find with criminals. You're going to find criminals. You're going to find people that are eyeballing you, you know, looking at you, trying to, trying to get some, some money out of you, trying to get something. I was robbed at gunpoint by two motorcycle, uh, motorcycle criminals and they wanted my bag. They wanted my phone and wallet and everything. And, uh, it was a very difficult situation to be in because I was not ready to give it up. It was uh, a very quick experience. I wasn't expecting it. And that unexpectedness of the interaction caused me to get into a defensive mode. Um, and, and, you know, thank God that I'm here today. But when you have two individuals that uh, are yelling at you in Spanish about trying to take your, your watch and your chain and your wallet and your phone and your backpack, you don't want to give that up. You, you are trying to hold on. And, and um, I would say that what I did was kind of dumb. You know, I was swatting their hands away as they were trying to take my stuff out of my pockets and I wouldn't let them take it. And they fortunately, uh, unfortunately for me, but fortunately at the same time, they saw a gold chain underneath my shirt that they had broken since they had ripped the, the shirt buttons off when they spun me around. And uh, it was a gold cross that my father had given me. Um, and they swiped it from my neck, you know, and uh, they stripped it from me. So um, that possibly saved my life because if they didn't take anything that day, um, I might not have been able to have gotten off so easily. 
But these are the things that you've got to be aware of is not trying to scare anybody who's interested in going out to do these uh, world travels, but you've got to maintain a constant awareness of your surroundings. You've got to keep a, your head on a swivel and you've got to be ready to always have a plan B, a plan C, and think about steps ahead. This is uh, a game of chess and not checkers, especially when you're dealing with people whose language you don't speak or cultures you don't understand. Without doing your research, without diving into exactly how to handle yourself in these situations, if you're a woman, um, if you're a, a man on your own, whatever the case is, you have got to consider what options you have, what options you don't, and how best to go about scenarios if they're, if they're thrown your way. Um, and so these are like uh, the implications of what it means to have gotten out there and some of the things that I've learned. Uh, and with that, uh, I, I'm very happy that I was able to come back with a brand new take on life and that straight motivation to end up wanting to explore more. Um, that experience definitely shook me, but that didn't change who I was. It just made me more careful and was ready to go back out there. Um, so I hope that with that, there's some advice that you can take when you're thinking about what to do getting out there, what to do uh, when it comes to some concerns that you may have. But all it takes is an opportunity for you to say, I'm going to do this. Do your research, get out there, and go do it. I just wanted to say thank you for sitting here and listening to this podcast, Season 1, Episode 1. Um, this is a very great honor for me. I'm so happy that I'm able to share this information with you. And stay tuned for more episodes coming your way from Nomad Limits. This is your host, Taylor Rivas, and remember, with us, there are no meddlings.